Welcome to the Wandering Toward Wisdom podcast. In this episode, Joel and I continue a kind of critique of the way that we Christians tend to approach belief, knowledge, and how this has affected apologetics. Uh, We have taken the deconstruction stories of Renton Link as a jumping off point to dive into this discussion. Uh, Arguments for God's existence, the reliability of scripture, and so forth, while aimed at some good thing, might in fact be, uh, we might be framing these arguments incorrectly. The thing is, what we're getting at with apologetics is no new brilliant thing. It is really an attempt to dive deeply into something all Christians learn from the beginning. That salvation does not depend on what facts you know about the world, but is fundamentally about knowing and loving the person of Jesus Christ. Now, while claims about Jesus in the Bible are surely important, people who are into arguments about Christianity tend to run into a problem. Our relationship with Jesus is dependent on evidence, but we don't allow the reverse to also be true. That is, we do not know how to make our relationship affect the way that we look at evidence and what kind of evidence we look at. Now, you might say you might think this isn't entirely true. After all, Christians tend to look at evidence for Christianity uh, and maybe not so much evidence against it. But what we mean is something a little deeper. It's not about what evidence you pay attention to or who you read or what kind of arguments you listen to, but rather about what kind of thing we consider to constitute evidence. Of course, as per our usual, we don't solve this issue in, the, in this podcast, not yet, uh, but we do a bit more reflection on the stories that Rhett and Link shared and how what they said expose an error that was present even when they were believers. And it's not just an error that they suffer from, it's an error that really uh, a lot of us suffer from and is in fact prevalent even in academic works. Um, which is something that we we go into a little bit of detail in this, but we'll get to, we'll have to get into in further podcasts. In any case, if you find these podcasts at all useful, interesting, or even annoying, feel free to let us know. Email us, find us on Twitter, or head to our website, tacticalfaith.com. Wondering Toward Wisdom is a part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Uh, we have another pod- podcast, TF Radio, uh, which includes fascinating interviews with various thinkers in the world of Christian thought and apologetics. Now, on the website, you'll also find blogs, information about upcoming events, and uh, if you'd like, opportunities to throw us a little bit of money. Anyway, thank you for listening. Welcome back to Wondering Toward Wisdom. Uh, last week, Joel and I were talking about, uh, we started, well, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about the deconstruction of the faith of Retinlink, of Good Mythical Morning, and of Ear Biscuits. Uh, the stories they tell, and uh, as as I've said, as we've said the last few times, our goal is not to uh, is not to criticize Renton Link as if they were lying or as if they were covering some kind of deeper uh, ulterior motives in their stories, but to take their stories at face value and let it serve as a as a way of reflecting on apologetics reflecting on how we do apologetics, and in some ways reflecting on per- perhaps how what they say show particular errors in the way they approach the idea of truth, the way they approach the ideas of evidence, and so on and so forth. So that is what we're doing. Uh, we started a little bit last week, and we talked a little bit about the, the focus on certainty and other elements like that, and we're just basically going to continue that. And part of what Joel and I are going to try to do is present a view of apologetics that takes into account what we what we keep. It's a word we keep throwing, or a phrase we term we keep throwing out. Evaluative outlooks, which we've been talking about this kind of thing from the beginning of from the beginning of this podcast series. But we're going to try to talk about. We're going to try to start presenting how uh, what we believe is wrong with the way we generally do apologetics. What is right about how we generally do apologetics, but how this all fits, how this all should be fit within a kind of a view of apologetics that emphasizes evaluative outlooks. So that's what we're going to try to get to. We keep saying the term evaluative outlook, and maybe you have no idea what we're talking about. And I think we're going to start getting into some of that today to actually explain in a little more detail what that is. Uh, but first, let's talk, let's just talk about. Uh, we, we kind of got started in this in last time, classical, the, the way apologetics is generally done. And uh, so first, I think, I think we want to start off by describing that. So what is, Joel, what is apologetics? I mean, we kind of, if you're listening to this, you probably know what apologetics is. 
but maybe give us a quick quick description of apologetics and what it, what seems to be the goal and the way that we generally do apologetics. So apologetics um, tends to look at or is an attempt to defend the faith and the defense is typically a uh, intellectual defense. It's intended to um, use arguments to prove certain statements as true or to discredit other statements. Um, it's an attempt to show that there are beliefs that show that prove the rationality of our uh, beliefs um, that are stated in, um, in propositions, which as we talked about last time, propositions are statements that are true or false. Um, so they have to have some sort of meaning to them in order for them to be propositions. And, and uh, apologetics is trying to show that those propositions are rational for one to believe that they're um, and not just that they're rational, but often that they're, they are actually true or we have good reason to believe that they are true. Um, and, and apologetics will often critique other arguments that are used to prove statements contrary to Christian faith. And the, the focus is on an apologetics is usually on having the best argument to give the most evidence for lack of a better word, uh, for your side, wh whichever side that is. Okay. So apologetics is generally considered the, when we talk about apologetics, we often just summarize it as defending the faith. And the faith is generally understood as a list of doctrines that you must believe to be Christian, uh, some, something along those lines. Yeah. It would seem weird to say that there's something wrong with apologetics, with the goal of apologetics, right? Part of the goal of apologetics is to prove that uh, we can look at the various different elements that prove that God exists, uh, to prove that scripture is reliable, to, pr to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. And that he rose from the dead. Uh, in fact, Jesus rising from the dead might be the most important single proposition to hold. So, what's wrong with you that you think there's something wrong with apologetics? What kind of horrible <laughs> man are you? Well, the, my uh, horribleness is a discussion for another time. Um, but the uh, the concern I have, or among the concerns I have, is the um, it's kind of how this all plays out practically. Um, you know, I've, when I, in, in my, um, when, when I was, um, really into this classical mode of apologetics, you know, you, you would, I would find these arguments and I'm like, this is the best argument ever. But then you talk to someone who is not a Christian and they would be like, that argument makes no sense. And, you know, it, it, we could look at the same evidence and come to two dramatically different conclusions. Or I would find an argument that would challenge uh, something of my, of a, of a doctrine I held. And, and, you know, this doctrine was not a, a core doctrine, um, but it was, it was a secondary or tertiary doctrine. And so the arguments that at one time I thought completely proved one set of one belief, I ended up finding flaws in those arguments and then finding another set of arguments that hold a slightly different belief. And then I become completely convinced of that belief. And it, 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 it the, the way it would often play out is I was looking for the arguments to, to prove my rightness. Now, not everyone was this way. I want to be very clear that there were, there are, are better people than previous me um when it, when and how they handle apologetics yeah. um jo but, joel's a, joel's a little bit combative and competitive but uh you wouldn't get that from this podcast or he used to be he used to be and then he got married and had kids <laughs> the 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 other concern which is related is that so much is focused on these arguments and these propositions that it, it there's there tends to be little t of moving beyond those to how does this spiritually transform my life it seems like 
it seems like when you're talking about the 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 arguments that we make, we hold a particular sort of belief. And then, I mean, how it generally works in terms of our actual experience of dealing with apologetics, both whether you're arguing for Christianity or against Christianity or for Calvinism or for Arminianism or whatever you want, whatever you're arguing about, it seems like that what what often is the case, what is 99.999% of the time is that you hold the belief and then you try to formulate arguments for it and you try to find errors in the arguments against it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and this is just, this is just, just peeking a little bit into the evaluative outlook element where you hold this. Why do you hold this particular belief? What is it that causes you to hold this belief? So let's say, let's just do one of those. Can I call it a silly argument? Silly debate between Calvinism, Arminianism. Can I go ahead? Anyway, uh, I'm exposing a little bit about myself, but, but, uh, but, uh, so you, you hold to it and let's say, let's say you hold, I don't know, let's say you hold to the Arminian side, right? Let's just say that. And you, you have a strong value on free will and you just think, you think free will is really, really important because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Someone could love or way, you know, the classical arguments. Um, and then you begin to formulate arguments, you interpret scripture and so on and so forth, but it's all driven because you, if, if I can say it this way, you see a particular value and you're trying to defend it. Yes. You can also have that. You can also have that on the Calvinist side, right? You see a particular value of if uh, if God's not. I mean, we, we formulate it in terms of arguments. If God's not in control, if God's not sovereign, then who knows how things could end up? And it this gives me a sense of confidence and trust in God's will, and blah 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 blah. And you can go down the line, and so because of that, you you just rip out all the Bible except Romans nine, and you start beating Armenians over the head with it. And uh, you know that those Bible thin papers, they're not real dangerous, but, but you, um, this, it seems like what, what's happening is we, we cling to it for reasons other than arguments. And we, we can tell this too, because when we change, if we're ever forced, if we ever start running into arguments that make us uncertain, to, uncertain about our beliefs, it is an emotional struggle. It's not purely an intellectual, pure pursuit of, of truth right. as if anybody could possibly be that way. Um, but it's, it's there's clearly this attachment. There's something there that we're attached to for some reason that's holding us there. That is more than simply the desire for truth. And and, and let me just say that we, even if we recognize that in ourselves, typically in the way we go about our, our apologetics treats other people as though the argument by itself is what should should be convincing that these arguments should cause a new belief in in another person even if for us it was not just an argument but it was a very emotional um uh, sometimes the whole life encompassing um period of stress to to come to that right and the value that the arguments that we formulate tend to be derivative from the value that we hold. So we have this value that's this this whole big, uh, maybe it's a unitary thing. I don't know how to, how to describe the value that you hold, but it's it's bound up in the way that you live and the way that you think and the way that you perceive and the and in the arguments you hold. There's there's this whole big mass. And then in looking at it, you pull off one little piece and try to formulate a rational argument out of it to try to get the other person to enter into the experience of that entire value. Right. Does that make, and 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 you're surprised that people aren't impacted by it. Um, well, I I mean I I think this this gets into um, some of the reason why you know Jamie Smith wrote his his recent book "You Are What You Love" um, because we we want to think of ourselves as thinking creatures and that we we are these these purely thinking and mental creatures and. Um, classical apologetics buys into that mentality. Typically, uh, there's a there's a sense in which, um, you know, it, it wants to treat. Uh, it, it, you know, sometimes when we look back on when we changed our mind, we we want to think it was the arguments that changed our mind. It was just the arguments, but there, there's often more going on in that. There's a there's a lot of complexity in human decision making um, that that I don't know enough. I, I know that I don't know enough about it to speak intelligently uh, about it. 
Um, right. Well, I, I, I mean, just to speak from my own experience, I've, I've, I've had times when I've changed my perceptions on things, changed my mind about something. And I remember arguments had an impact because it created a level of uncertainty, created a, a uncertainty, 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 but there's still a tension against it, a pursuit of, of, uh, any kind of hole I could find. And then there was this, like a moment where I became comfortable. It's like I saw things differently and became comfortable with changing my mind. And as, as the second I was comfortable with, it wasn't the arguments. It was the comfort. Once my comfort shifted, my mind changed. And I was like, oh, this is fine. And then, and, but often you become the converted drunk, right? Um, there's nothing worse than a converted drunk because a converted drunk is a person who, if you have alcohol in your house, they're going to beat the tar out of you. I know there's a lot of Baptists, uh, maybe perhaps listening. I don't know if there's anybody listening to be honest, but, uh, we have a lot of connections with Baptists down here. Um, but, and I know that, uh, uh, you uh, Baptists only drink when other Baptists aren't around, but, but the idea is like a converted drunk, once they, once they give up the alcohol, they, they, they're, they're on a crusade against it. And I mean, that sometimes happens once you become comfortable with a particular position, the Calvinist Arminian debate is a perfect example of this, right? Everybody grows up, every, every person, every young person is an Arminian until they get, you know, a certain amount of education and a certain amount of, I don't know what it is. Then they become Calvinists and then they become, you know, they're smoking their pipes, they're drinking all their alcohol and they're talking down to people who aren't Calvinists. Uh, that was my experience. No offense if you're a Calvinist. That's, you know, you become sort of a crusader for it and you believe that anybody in their right rational mind will hold to this position because I changed my mind not, and we forgot about all the, all the other stuff back there. It's like we, we keep falling back to Descartes and we think he's right. 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 Listen, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna burn away with the acid of doubt, all the beliefs that, that don't have certainty. And I'm going to, I built my beliefs on this ground of infallible or indubitable ideas, uh, indubitable claims. And from there I construct my world. And the indubitable claim is I am a thinking thing. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. My fundamental substance is thought. Um, so apologetics is Cartesian. The way it's typically done. I I mean, (sighs) okay, well, let me, let, let me, let me push on. Okay. So is it wrong to have rational belief? Is it wrong to have good rational arguments supporting our beliefs? I mean, isn't that, aren't thinking things at least a good chunk, maybe the most important element of what we are? I mean, isn't true. Doesn't truth matter? No, tr- truth matters immensely, but um, we, our approach to truth and what we use to evaluate things as true are in, are hugely important as well. Um, so, for instance, you look at Rhett, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last time, in, in his podcast you know, it was very much empirical evidence is the, is the evidence that counts for truth in his, in his mind. Um, empirical evidence is great. It's important. It's a good thing to have to support your belief, but is it the end all be all of things? No, there's more to the world than empirical evidence. Um, and even with empirical evidence, you know, you know, people say that, um, you know, you can make statistics say anything and, you know, and and there's an element of truth that you can have two people look at the same data set and come to two dramatically different conclusions based on the values that they're using to perceive those uh, data sets when, and so we should be concerned about truth, but we need to also be concerned with what counts as truth? How do we decide what counts as truth? And, and and also when we talk about these arguments, are we seeing these arguments as things that lead us to truth, or are they are they things that that help uh, reinforce what we hold to be true? And I I mean you can look at the information that's coming out about coronavirus and how different people interpret the data. I mean that could, that might be a good example. Um, of that as well. 
it seems like, okay, there's a very simple explanation of what we're trying to get at that I think most people hold to. And that is the recognition that belief in a set of propositions does not make you a believer. It is about a personal relationship with Jesus. If, I'm a little nervous about the word personal, but because I think we're meant to be a community, but let's, well, this is classical language. It kind of comes up in, in, in Rhett and Link's, uh, but we're talking about the fact that you relate to Jesus as a person. You don't relate to Jesus as a set of propositions. Let's let's at personal mean that, not individualized relationship with Jesus. That's a little bit of a an American, but, but a relationship that treats Jesus as a person rather than as a an person. Idea. Yes, yes, yes. The recognition that God is personal, um, that God is fundamentally person. Jesus is a person, Father, person, Spirit, person. So recognition that Jesus so we recognize that believing a bunch of information about Jesus is not sufficient to be saved we know this because even the demons believe and shudder we're all willing to say that apologetics is largely about trying to get people to believe a set of propositions about God about Jesus or whatever we recognize there's there's a limitation on the capacity for apologetics to result in people becoming believers because apologetics is about proving propositions about trying to prove propositions. If I if I acquire the set of propositions, well, let, let me set this let me set this against the backdrop of Rhett because I'm, I'm trying to understand a little bit about what he said. So I've brought up a couple times that it is it is interesting that it was really interesting to me that Rhett kept saying that he held to that he had a personal relationship with Jesus. But now he he's convinced that none of that stuff is true and Jesus is therefore simply a dead man. But he says something. So he has a personal relationship with Jesus and he also has this intellectual side. And we, I mentioned this last time how he kept going back to um, if, if his faith started to falter, he went back to apologetics to defend the faith. He went to the intellectual side to defend the faith. And so he had this personal relationship with Jesus, which he said was vibrant and healthy and so on and so forth. And then he also had this series of doctrines that he believed. The doctrines fell away. They they slowly eroded away under the acid of the acid of Cartesian doubt. And he was left, he kept trying to cling to this personal relationship with Jesus. And then he read Air read Airman, um, Error Man, and he discovered that everything about Jesus is false. I'm using discovered as in scare quotes. Clearly, if Jesus isn't real, then the relationship can't hold. And so the doctrines of the faith serve as, maybe we could say they serve as a necessary condition. Certain elements of the doctrine are a necessary condition for the truth. Well, so if Jesus did not rise, then our faith is futile. Right. That's Paul saying it's a necessary condition. And by necessary condition, we mean if this is false, if the proposition is false, if the claim is false, then the faith is a waste. I mean, to, to maybe try and... And, and make it more uh, directly relatable for us. It, it would be akin to, um, you know, you have a friendship with someone and you have, have all of these pieces of information that you know about the, or that you think you know about the friend and that, that informs the way that you relate to each other. But then say you find out that something that you thought about your friend was a, a lie this whole time then what does that do to that relationship? I mean, it, it, it's going to, to undermine it and make and throw into doubt whatever you had, even though you would have believed you would have said that your relationship with that person was vibrant. You just happen to find out that person doesn't actually exist. It's a different person. Your friend is a different person than you thought, thought they were. Right, your 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 fifteen year old uh, best friend in freshman was actually a forty year old man on the internet. So, um, uh, don't let that happen to you. But yeah, that, that's 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 good. So that's what we would consider in 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 philosophy speak. We would consider something like a necessary condition for the maintenance of the friendship. So, if you find out that the propositions that you hold about your friend are false, then it undermines the friendship. But their being true is not sufficient to make the friendship. Does that make sense? And so, um, uh, when we do apologetics, I think we're arguing 
largely, we might say for a, a bunch of necessary conditions, but those necessary conditions are not sufficient conditions. They're not enough to make one have a relationship. Right. And, and the, so, so let me, let me kind of push a little bit on, on the friendship analogy, you know, what kind of truth would it make, would it have to, or what kind of, of statement about your friend would it uh, take for you to throw into question the entire friendship? So, so say you find, say, um, well, you know, if, if you've watched The Good Place, you know, Chidi has his, his friend that has the red cowboy boots and, and Chidi acts like he really likes him and his friend uh, is about to, you know, is appears to be on his deathbed and and uh, gets Chidi a pair of red cowboy boots and so Chidi wears them and acts like he likes them and, and all this stuff. Um, but Chidi really hated the red cowboy boots. Um, if is are, is hating the red cowboy boots, finding that to be true, is that does that undermine the the friendship? Or something even smaller, like you meet someone, they take you offer them a cookie. It happens to be a cookie they don't really like, but they they take it because you're you offered it. You're being they're being nice, and they think that you love these kinds of cookies. And so, you know, after a year, you're like, I actually really don't care for that kind of cookie very much at all. Would you be like, oh my goodness, our whole friendship has been a lie? Or or is is that something that you would? Uh, say okay, I I I know my my friend better now than I did previously, um, you know, and and I, because I think we with when people start moving in the in in deconstruction, it tends to be when they find out the cookie that they don't like the cookies that 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 can make them throw everything and you know throw you know throw the whole friendship into doubt. Um, the whole relationship with Christ into doubt. Let me make a quick point there because there are, I think what, what we're saying in some respects or what you're getting at too is the cookie, them being honest about their liking the cookie, if that is to you a necessary condition for the friendship, there's something wrong with you, right? The point is they're trying to show appreciation for the cookie because they're trying to be kind to you. You've misunderstood it as they love the cookie um, and so their, their mode, if you, if you take it as you've been lying to me this entire time. And so I can't trust you, you're, you're misunderstanding, you're interpreting the, the error in the wrong way. Arguably the error probably came out of an attempt to be kind. And so what we're talking about here a little bit too, is not, it's not just a necessary, sometimes we, we emphasize necessary conditions and those are important ones. Did Christ rise from the dead? That's that is in fact a necessary condition. Yes. Um, did, you know, the age of the earth. Probably not. That's not a necessary condition because frankly, nobody knows the age of the earth. God does. We're all, we're all just guessing, right? You know, you're adding genealogies, you're doing some sort of, I don't know, uh, whatever kind of dating they use to try to figure out the age of the earth. Doesn't matter if you're a scientist or if you're a biblical literal literalist or whatever you want to call it, you don't really know. You're all estimating, and so if that's a necessary condition that you age, age of the earth right, well, how specific do you need to be? Does it need to be down to the year, to the minute, to the day? How close do we need to be for God to allow us into heaven? Um, and so, obviously, we don't need to be close at all. It doesn't even matter, right? And so, now, now, if you understand the age of the earth, if 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 you hold to an old earth, that means the Bible's undermined. Then you've made a connection that maybe it's an accurate connection, but you need to you need to make good you need to make a good argument that this is the case because a lot of people who don't think this is the case, you made it. You're making a connection that you're making a necessary connection. I feel like in some ways, and I, this might this might step on some toes. I don't have any problem with young earth, by the way, but. Uh, but you're making a connection. You might be the person who's saying, my friend has pretended like they've liked this cookie this entire year, and so I can't be friends anymore. Well, let, let, let me, let me, let me put, take this a step back into uh, discussions about classical apologetics. When we're focused on propositions and we're focused on arguments, it becomes very difficult to determine what's the difference between an actually necessary condition and what's, uh, what's not. 
And so when we're talking about arguments or making arguments for all these things, we need, we, while, while there may be some, um, you know, some, while it may, you know, help support your faith in some way to, to give all these arguments for what, for things that aren't necessary conditions, we do a poor job of drawing lines between where are the arguments for necessary conditions and where are the arguments for, for wanting to get at a, like, you know, for the, for the cookies things, like you dig, you dig and find out that your friend doesn't like that cookie. They like a different cookie. Okay. That hasn't changed your friendship. It's just made you closer to your friend because you know more about your friend now. Where, where are the arguments in apologetics that are about the necessary conditions? Where are the ones that are about getting to know, getting to know Jesus better and getting to know the reality of who God is better? And how do we draw an effective line between those two so that we know when we're doing what? Yeah, that's that's a that's a, an excellent way to put it because the issue is, I feel like, and this is, I mean, when I taught apologetics uh, uh, in, in in the Bible college, my goal was always to start off with with talking about hope because First Peter three passage is about defending the hope, and so first we need to understand what hope is, whether whether we do we have it objectively, yes, but do we have it subject? Because hope is an experience of being on the way. If I use paper and so on and so forth. And then the goal was to try to understand what are these arguments doing? Um, how, what is the function in, in your relationship? Because apologetics should not be distinguished, I think, from just straight up sharing the good news. It's just a particular apparatus that's it's a, it's a tool to be used, but it's never sufficient. And it's and it's not, it's definitely not necessary. It's not always necessary. It might be sometimes. And I always said the goal of apologetics, and this might be jumping sort of to the end, but it's, it's kind of what we're trying to get at the goal. How do I say this without, without sounding insulting to unbelievers? I'm not trying to sound insulting to unbelievers, but, uh, the idea is something like if we are in fact made for God, then there is a good out there that we are, that we have been created to be aimed toward arguments against God's existence, against the truth of Christianity are like, I feel like they're attempts by people to put things over their eyes so they can't see. Now, most of what holds us back from belief in God are not arguments. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says about how they're focused on the pure pursuit of truth or whatever kind of nonsense they claim. Um, and they're just objective observers trying to acquire propositions. Uh, that's, easily it's easy to prove that that's false but the idea is that we there's something usually that's holding us back from belief in god there's there's some sort of you know i think a lot of people for example who who present arguments against god's against god's existence a lot of them particularly if they're dealing with the problem of evil it's pretty evident that their issue isn't simply the the illogical problem of evil which is easily handled their issue is their issue is wrestling with suffering itself. That's that's their issue. Um, they know someone, or they they themselves are just simply they look at the world and they can't, you know, they don't. I don't know uh, how to put it, but they don't like all the suffering. Mm -hmm. And so, in that case, the goal of apologetics is to help is to help weaken the strength of that blinder to maybe poke a few holes in it. Not because that will prove that God God exists, because but rather all of apologetics, or really the whole Christian life, is a matter of pointing to God pointing specifically to Jesus and apologetic arguments serve simply as ways of weakening the blinders that people hold in front of their own eyes. But apologetics never proves anything. The goal is merely to weaken or remove because is it, would it be right to say God can't be proven? That well, Christ can't be proven? The, what, what do you mean by yeah, that's, proving, <laughs> that's that's God thing. proving Christ. I mean, it, 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 it's like it's proving a, a person. I mean, how do you prove or what? Yeah. What does it mean to prove a person? Do you mean that there is a a a person that exists, or are you talking about specific characteristics about uh, that we or about that specific person and, and the richness of who that specific person is? Um, which this is also part of the the issue with apologetics and, 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 you know, we can, you know, it's like if someone doesn't want to see the, they're not they they can find 
um, they can find reasons to reject any argument about the goodness of God or, or, you know, the loving, uh, you know, that God is love. Um, you know, the, the, because when we start talking about characteristics of a person, there's an element on which we're saying, look here to see this, you know, if, if, if I was going to, you know, try and get someone to see a characteristic of Travis, I would be like, you know, I, I could give, you know, evidence. I could give specific things that he's done in specific situations. And someone could say, well, Travis was doing this or that. He wasn't actually doing what you're saying. He, he had some ulterior motive in mind. Um, you know, he, th- th- such that when we talk, start talking about characteristics, um, it, it becomes more, more difficult to, to prove a characteristic because we cannot be inside the mental state of God, Jesus, the spirit. We, we can't just like we can't in, inside, get inside the mental state of another person. Um, so we can't know. And so proving that is, is impossible. And, and this, this is an interesting element of the story that Rhett and Link told too. Right. And if, if you, if you attend to any, Almost, there are very few atheists that you'll interact with who will claim that God is good and they don't believe in God. Right. It's almost invariably God's God is a terrible being according to your scriptures or according to any scriptures or whatever. I mean, look around you and God doesn't exist. It seems like disbelief in God also, it, it seems inextricably connected in people's minds with God not being a very good God. And if you look in Rhett and Link's stories, one of the things they kept aiming toward, they kept moving down toward, was it was difficult to love people given the beliefs that we held. Right. That, and I'm just taking them at face value, right? I'm not, I'm not suggesting ulterior motives. I'm not saying Los Angeles got to them. That's not my point. My point is, from the start, they, held, they believed that belief in God was constraining their capacity to love people. It and, strikes it strikes me that they're not talking about the same God. Like, what God are they talking about? So, so I, I would, I would, I was debating on 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 going down this this route um, because it starts to get into more complex philosophical ideas. Um, and um, I'm not sure we, it's it's completely necessary, and but we can cut this out if we need to. Um, when we look at at action, and when people do actions in the world, we typically tend to think, well, someone, if someone does something or someone doesn't do something, when someone does something, it's because they they really wanted to do it, and they believe that that, or they they had this desire for something. They had a belief that if they do this thing, the desire can be fulfilled, and therefore that leads to the action. And you know, in the philosophical literature, this is a a, a common uh, view as to explain human action. Um, however, as I reflected on th- on on this, I I realized that if we look at an action and say, "Hold on, I don't like that action." then we're probably going to go back and look at our desires or our beliefs that lead to the action. And so if they're having trouble loving other people, they're going to look at their desire and their beliefs and, and their desire. And still like with Rhett and Link, their desire was to be, they were desiring to know truth, to know God, to, to be a good person, but their beliefs about, and, and so their desires were good, but it was leading to bad actions. So they had to evaluate their beliefs and so there must be something deficient in their beliefs for them to have to come to this action. And, and so they evaluate their beliefs, they look at it. And, and so they're already looking at their beliefs as where is the, where does the deficiency lie? And this isn't just retinal link. This is, this is just human. This is the way that humans try to process things. Let's stop and just review real quickly. Okay. okay. So human action generally involves three different things. One thing is, of course, the action itself. The other one is the desire, the thing you, the thing that you you wish to, uh, depending on how you interpret it, uh, the thing that you wish to to have be the case, right? Um, and then the other thing is the belief, and that is 
the belief that a particular kind of action will lead to a certain. So I have a desire. Let's say I have a desire to be honored by the people around me. I'm a junior high boy. I have a desire to be honored by the people around me. I believe that if I, uh, I don't know, if I do something ridiculous, I will be honored by the people. If I do something ridiculous in class, like talk back to my teacher, I will be honored by the people around me. So I do the action and I talk back to my teacher and my teacher reprimands me and everyone looks at me like, you're such an idiot. And I look back and I think, okay, my desire is not bad to be honored. My belief was off. I need to correct my belief. And I just realized that talking back to my teacher is not a way to get honored. My belief was off. And so the end I, I tried to achieve was not accomplished. Is that a good way of describing it? Yeah, that, that's the way we often process things. And, and, and that, gets at, that does get at a fair number of, of our actions. And, th- and that's why it, it, this view uh, pervades the, the philosophical literature. Um, However, if, if, if this is the case, you know, like I'm saying with Red and Link, they, and, and not just Red and Link, but just so many Christians who, who buy into this mentality, or, or people who, who, who at least would call themselves Christians at some point, when they, they, are, they are pushed, they feel like they're pushed into re-examining their beliefs and find, and, and when you are going after your beliefs, not with the assumption that I'm wanting to reinforce them, but what is wrong with my beliefs? That's going to take a very different, that's going to uh, lead to a very, very different lens through which you're looking at your beliefs than if you're, you're just looking to, to you know, to strengthen them or, or whatever. Um, you know, it, it's, and so if you're looking to show, to figure out what's wrong, so you can throw it out, what you might end up with is something more problematic than you originally had, but you're not going to realize it because you were so focused on getting rid of the bad thing that you, you didn't realize what you, what you held after getting rid of what you thought was the bad thing. Right. It's um, the converted drunk. Yeah. To yeah. some extent. And so, and so I think we're going to, we're, we're in the next podcast, we're going to start to really flesh out what we really mean with this evaluative outlook stuff, what we're trying to, Together, how we see apologetics and evaluative outlooks going hand in hand. We've we've pointed to in this direction. We've we've been we've given some little little bits of information about this, but I but to, to really lay this out would be I, I'm pretty sure is going to deserves its own episode um, because um, this there's some really important stuff. Um, I, I I want to one thing I, I do want to say is. Um, that's going to put kind of set things up a little bit in that direction is um, when we look for our, our at these arguments I you know I hope we've been very clear we we are not saying apologetics is a bad thing we are not saying that we should not explore these arguments um, however I want to I want to push us to think about what if we treated these arguments not as the end all be all discussion enders, you know, yeah, I lay down my argument. I lay the smack down. What can you say? I win because my argument was so awesome. Um, you know, that that's, that's, that's not how we're saying apologetics should be done. Rather apologetics is more of here's this argument. And in this argument, I'm kind of showing my cards as to what I value, what I think is important. And if you, if you can, can, look at this argument. Maybe you can see what I see. Maybe you can get a glimpse of the God that I, that I see, the, the God that I love, the God that I'm striving to become more like. And, and so, um, when, when we, when we go about it that way, when it's more of a, here, let me, let me try and give you a glimpse. The person can reject it. The person can be like, that's nonsense. You're, you know, in, in a sense, they're, they're taking your, those values that we, that, you know, we talked about earlier and just saying, I reject those. So what you say is nonsense. And then, you know, at that point, it doesn't mean, Oh no, you know, my, my argument isn't, is a terrible argument. No, it's not. It's, it's still a good argument, you know, to, to help give reasons, but you need to find another way to try and help that person see, um, you know, one, one way to think of it, you know, especially with a person who is, um, you know, struggling with their faith in some way, shape, or form. 
you don't argue someone into the kingdom. Um, you don't you don't argue someone into a relationship. That that's a weird relationship if you you know if you had to be argued into that. Um, but Stockholm syndrome. I don't know. You might be able maybe, to maybe, uh, but rather I like to think of apologetics as more like the kind of thing that you say to your, you know, if you've got a friend who's, who's married and they're struggling in their marriage, you know, these are the argument, you might be able to give arguments and say to show that, you know, you really do love your spouse and your spouse really does love you, even though there are rough times happening. Now, if you're, if that, if your friend wants to save the marriage, then they're going to be more inclined to see that. But if they've kind of checked out, they're just going to reject whatever you say. Um, the, the goal of these arguments is not to um, to be the end, you know, the end of the discussion, but rather to try to reorient one's perspective to see what the reality that's there, the, the reality that you you do love your spouse and your spouse does love you, even though it's hard. And, and, and that reality can be obscured by circumstances in life, you know, that we're going through. Same thing with God. There are moments when, when the reality that God is good, that God is love, that God is always working for us, that God is on our side, where those realities can be obscured. Not, not, by, not by anything that God's done, not by anything that we've done necessarily, but just life circumstances can do that. And sometimes we need people to come along beside us and say, no, 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 let me remind you how things really are. Let me try to help you see how things really are, even though it's really hard to see that truth right now. And I think that's where apologetics can be of great value. That right. It helps us to see the reality that may be obscured due to whatever's going on in life. And where apologetics goes wrong is when they believe the arguments are sufficient. And where Christians go wrong is when they think the arguments are necessary um, I don't know how to put it because, because what you presented is something like, so, so the, the person who's married, right. And they're struggling in their marriage. The person who's given up on it, no argument will be sufficient. Right. They'll be able to, they'll be able to, to misinterpret all of it to, right. to an, or, or interpret it in a different way on, on all the things. If a person wants it to happen, the arguments have, have movement. Well, what's the difference between those two people? Well, but that whatever that difference is is the important thing, and whatever that difference is is what apologetics should be aiming at. It is changing the one from one to the other. Um, the danger is if you think the arguments are everything, and you so you assume everyone should be reacting purely rationally. First of all, or maybe I should just if you if you were in fact that way, you couldn't have a relationship if you existed in such a manner. Yeah. And so the thing to which apologetics is pointing could never be could never be acquired by someone who thinks the arguments are everything, or the belief is everything, or or that the beliefs or that all the beliefs are must be proven beyond beyond all doubt or with certainty or something like that. Like th there's something we got to fiddle around with here. I really want to drag Kierkegaard into this, um, but I need to be dragged out of the podcast and made to shut up. <laughs> but, but well, I think we're going to get into that. We're probably going to be talking about some, uh, instead of maybe we're probably going to, I mean, again, we're going to be coming back to written link, but we're really just using them as a jump off, jumping off point to talk about this. Um, I think next time we're going to get into some significant, de significant, significant detail in trying to set out what we mean by this and, and what it looks like, right. even though we've given a lot of hints, um, uh, a lot of, we've kind of danced around the issue a whole bunch. But we, we, we do want to deal with some of the basic the basic ideas that Rhett and Leek are struggle, struggling with, specifically Rhett with his with his, the beliefs that he had and, or the support for his beliefs slowly breaking away, breaking away, breaking away. And as his belief in the faith or the set of doctrines fell away, his relationship with Jesus began, began to crumble, um, which is of interest itself. And then Link's particular desire and to, to want to be more loving mm -hmm. um, and how the beliefs that he held in Christianity were resulting in, in what he believed to be. And from the way they're described, it is probably actually the case in a less, less loving way of life than, than what he should have lived, yeah. uh, should have been living. 
which means they're perceiving a certain kind of value and they see the beliefs of Christianity as being opposed to those, opposed to the, those values. Um, and that's part of what drives it. And in fact, I would dare say that that's primarily what keeps people from believing in, in, uh, in Christianity is they see the beliefs of Christianity as opposed to the values that they hold. Which we'll talk about more next week. <laughs> Which we will get to next week. Uh, at this point, I feel like we've just done a whole bunch of preliminary. And so next week, we're going to try to set this out, even though, as you can imagine, just from the way we've described it, it's going to be somewhat difficult. It's not going to be the normal normal way of understanding apologetics. Um, even though it's not really a lot different, it's just like it's something added on that really every just basic person, basic person, every you don't have to have any kind of education to understand this element of what we're trying to get at with apologetics. Right. right. You don't have to be, we all know it's the relationship is what is central. The question is, how does that, how does that relationship relate to the arguments that we make? Because that's where I think Rhett holds the, the arguments as necessary as these have to hold for the relationship to hold, but there's no, there's no, the relationship has, seems does doesn't seem to have any effect on the way he perceives the evidence. It's a purely one-way street. Right. And that seems it's something's missing there. So that's what we're going to start getting to. Yep. Uh next week. At this point though, we probably just need to wrap this up. Any final words? Um if you are social distancing right now and have lots of time, if you want to go back and listen to uh some of our beginning podcasts, you are welcome to. Uh if you want to send us an email, please do or or hit us up on Twitter. Um, we, when we're done with this series, we are always looking for more ideas. And if you guys are actually listening and you have something you want us to cover, let us know. And we would be happy to speak on that, even if we are speaking mostly ignorantly. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, check out the tactical faith web website. You know, th there's lots of good resources on there too. Lots of good information. Um, if you, if you have time, uh, uh, we'd love for you to engage with us as much as you can. Uh, if you don't have time because you have young children at home, we understand that too. Thanks for listening. This is Travis. This is Joel. Have a great day. <laughs>